Hi everyone, from Impact Alpha Media, this is Returns on Investment, a show about the impact investing marketplace. Live, on tape, from New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the financial technology company LiquidNet. Joining me in my New York office is Imogen Rose-Smith, a senior writer with Institutional Investor Magazine. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And joining us by the magic of podcast technology from California is David Bank, who is editor-in-chief of Impact Alpha. Hi, David. Hi, Brian. On today's show, we're going to talk about impact in the era of Trump. Now, our last episode was recorded in the final weeks of the 2016 presidential campaign, and we on this podcast allowed ourselves to believe the data-driven prognostications that Hillary Clinton was nearly a shoe in to become the next president of the United States. Boy, were we wrong. But so was 538 and the New York Times upshot. So now... As the reality of the Trump presidency comes into focus, it's time to talk about the impact his presidency will have on the world of social good. What is the future of impact investing under a President Trump? David, what has been the response to the Trump presidency from the impact investing community? Well, it's interesting, Brian. Um, actually, Imogen and I both happened to be in Marrakesh, Morocco, uh, right after, during and after the election. And that, was those that were the because big... you were fleeing uh, the country after the election of Donald Trump? <laughs> well, I'm not sure people were fleeing to Marrakesh. They were thinking of New Zealand or Canada or whatnot. But it's, it's a beautiful country. And they were having the big climate conference, the follow-on to last year's Paris Climate Accords. And in the run-up pre-election, the expectations and anticipation excitement was so high. The, the the climate agreement had gone into effect early and countries were lining up and in private investors were, were understanding the opportunities. Uh, then the election results came and it was like a two by four to the side of the head. And people were uh, all the way, you know, down the rabbit hole that our last best chance to avert climate disaster had just been, had just been lost. And I would say by the end of the of the of the session, and, and I would be interested in Imogen's thoughts on this. By the end of the session, they're sort of given way to a kind of grim determination that, in fact, the long-term trends are are what they are, both on the downside in terms of climate risk and also on the upside in terms of the opportunities for renewables and and other things. And that there was a notion that maybe uh, you know either the the rest of the world. Uh, can lead, that private capital can lead, and that there was sort of a uh, let's carry on and not let this derail the, the progress that's made. So that was just on climate. And there's obviously many other sectors um, at, at stake here. But I think things have sort of arrived at a similar point, which is, you know, you know, it's now put up or shut up for impact investors. You know, let's let let's let's put our money where our mouth is. Yeah, I mean, I w would agree with you generally. I think there was a sort of maybe even a false optimism coming at the end of, say, Marrakesh when people were thinking, you know, maybe this won't be so bad. But, yeah, as things progress, there's also sort of a fear and a realization setting in that, no, we really are going to see a lot of steps backwards on climate policy, immigration, certainly, you know, women's rights, LBG rights, a lot of the things that are underlying a lot of the beliefs of impact investing are really coming under threat. And I think that is very frightening and very concerning to people. On the flip side, it certainly doesn't mean that impact investing is over. And I think there's, you know, this recognition that 
impact shouldn't just be a Democrat or a liberal thing. And if it's that, in some ways, it's a failed. So it shouldn't de be dependent on a Hillary administration or, let's say, a Labour administration in the UK, then it's far broader than that. And it also shouldn't be dependent on government. And I think that's one of the things you're really seeing is this sort of recognition that now we have to go out and do it on our own. And it's on the private sector to step up and really sort of act on a lot of these key issues. Well, Imogen, isn't it just that, that impact investing uh, is really at the intersection of where left and right sometimes comes together because it's about unleashing private capital for public good. And so therefore, there are people on all sides of the political aisle who uh, are supporters and endorsers, maybe coming at it from uh, different approaches or different reasons, uh, but there there uh, could be uh, impact investing could sit squarely within uh, a Republican administration, a traditional Republican administration in the United States. It could but that doesn't necessarily mean that the left will agree. So, for example, one of the areas you're clearly going to see a boom under a Trump administration is charter schools. I mean, he's already made that clear with his choice of education secretary. So charter schools are an impact thing. And if you look somewhere like in the UK, there's been a lot of impact work around charter, and that comes at the cost of the disintermediation of of the welfare strike. So, yeah, we saw that with, you know, after the election, the, the, the stock prices of uh, public, uh, public companies that, uh, that ran private schools went up. Uh, and there's this expectation that uh, a Trump presidency will be good for uh, publicly financed private education. And you've got to think that it's a good thing that impact isn't a red issue or a blue issue that it that it embraces both. And also things like small business, right? A Trump administration is supposed to be pro-small business. So that's something that impact can get behind. I think the bigger issue is the sort of meta things like climate that the impact community care about. And the people who are vulnerable under a very reactionary, very right-wing administration and there's a huge opportunity there for to impact to step up and play a role, be that against government or working with local governments and other institutions. David, what are you hearing from your contacts in the impact investing community about where we should go from here and uh, how, how the impact investing community can best respond to a Trump presidency? Well, I mean, there were some very interesting reactions when Trump went to Indiana and announced the, the, the deal to save the jobs at the carrier factory. And and in fact, you know, Pence, the, the governor of Indiana, had played some role in those negotiations. And what they were endorsing, in effect, were public subsidies for private industry to keep jobs local and to, and to not send them off to Mexico. And if you take it at a sort of broader view, he was talking about ways of catalyzing private decision making through public subsidies. He was talking about something that was more akin to what you might call stakeholder capitalism. That's kind of a UK European notion that there's more to to business decisions than just shareholder value, that that the community, the workers and others, consumers have a voice as well. You know, it may be grasping at straws, uh, and there is certainly a lot of grasping at straws, I, I think, in these early days, but there are ways in which Trump is disrupting 
not only sort of left liberal consensus, but uh, but even a right Republican consensus. And that's one of the really interesting things, right? Like Trump is not a traditional Republican. He, he has no ideology. He has whatever Trump thinks the next day when he wakes up, which is terrifying in a lot of ways, and particularly on something like, say, foreign policy. But it's interesting when you're talking about like capitalism and these kind of things about how he might act so there are ways in which yeah he's pro trying to get jobs back into the country and that could be good for impact that there's no party line that he necessarily toes on some of these things and you know what's interesting is you know a jobs policy for the middle class you know is seen as populist a jobs policy for the uh, you know, for low-income people is seen as some kind of government handout. And so I think there's a lot of work that people have to do now of bringing these kind of disparate framing uh, uh, of these different issues together such that, you know, we can we can we can take advantage of the of the openings that that might uh, that might appear. So obviously infrastructure is one. Democratic Party and, and liberals in general have been in favor of more, stimulus spending on things like that that have some long-term economic benefits um, and that could not just be you know roads and sewers it could also be broadband it could also be all kinds of other other things that that would uh, be more inclusive similarly there's common ground perhaps on, on the job strategies as we've talked about I would think even there might be common ground on on energy not in a climate sense which he seems to be on the side of maybe the climate change deniers but on terms of green jobs for solar and, and wind installers and, and those sorts of things. David, if we, if we think about the deployment of capital in different ways, we, we think of uh, the deployment of private capital for private gain as uh, traditional investing. We think of the deployment of private capital for public gain as philanthropy. And we think of the deployment of private capital for both public gain and private gain as impact investing. Now, the deployment of public capital for public gain is what the government does. It collects tax revenue and it deploys capital for, for the, the good of all. Um, so impact investing, what we're talking about with this, with this show, with this effort, is, is trying to talk about how do we think about the deployment of private capital for both public gain alongside private gain. But we have to recognize all the capital that's being deployed um, in other ways, uh, in adjacent spaces. So how does the, the Trump presidency, well, I mean, I, I don't think we quite yet know how the Trump presidency will think about deploying public capital for public gain, but what kind of, you know, what kind of environment will, will Trump presidency enable that focuses on the deployment of private capital for both public good and private gain? <laughs> that's the, that's the trillion dollar question, Brian. Um, I think there's two. There's several levels of it. One is a, a pure policy level. The, the Obama administration made various gain, various advances in things like pension fund governance and whatnot that allowed the consideration of environmental social factors in in pension fund uh, investment decision making. Those kinds of very practical policy sorts of things. I think what you're actually getting at maybe is a sense of what's the zeitgeist or what do private investors actually think their role is. In, in society, and you know, the the easy the easy out would be to say that this is now you know that all that impact, all that social impact, all that environmental sustainability was just some kind of you know liberal fantasy that's now gone. I don't think that's true. I think that the fundamental drivers of value 
regardless of who's president, are, are starting to be social inclusion, environmental sustainability, demographics that, that require you to have a more sustainable safety net, you know, population gains that require certain changes in food security. And then obviously climate is this inexorable thing that has, you know, you know people say, you know, Donald Trump may not care about climate change, but, you know, the climate doesn't give a shit. So, um, the, so the long-term trends are, 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 are what they are, and I think investors will recognize that. Are we allowed to swear on the RIA podcast? <laughs> Has it come we are that? now. <laughs> In a post-Trump world, that is acceptable. <laughs> In a post-Trump world, who gives a shit? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I think with Trump, there are a lot lot of unknowns right we really don't have any idea what he's going to say half the time let alone what is he going to do there are a few things you can look at from his either his business record more likely or a little bit sort of what he said on the campaign and historically which doesn't really help us at this point like what candidates say on the campaign is actually a good metric of what they do but we know for example that apparently trump hates low-income and affordable housing right as a developer he's been really against that he hates it with a fiery passion so if you're in that sector you should be very concerned right i think the infrastructure spending bill is if it gets through given that you know he probably has to do a huge tax cut first is going to be a very interesting question to see where that rubber meets the road, which special interest groups are catered to, which ones aren't, what in fact he wants to spend his infrastructure dollar on. I don't know how optimistic we can be at this point. I also think there's a chance though that, you know, history suggests Trump can change over time. Like he doesn't necessarily want to be the unpopular guy doing things that people hate him for. So does that mean that over time, for example, he changes his view on climate policy? We don't yet know. It was interesting if you read the through the actual transcript of the New York Times interview with him, uh, where he where where he gets pressed several times on on climate change, and the headlines out of that were you know oh I have an open mind on the Paris Agreement oh there might be some human involvement in in climate change. Uh, if you read the actual t transcript, it's much more um, uh, I, I was going to say nuanced, but I would say confused. <laughs> And he's really all over the map, as you as you say, Imogen, and seems to be the at the mercy of, you know, whatever he whatever he read about, you know, climate gate email scandal from five years ago that that's been pretty well debunked. And it's just like he's 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 spinning in a certain way. And we have to make sure he, he spins. In, in, well, in, so in then it becomes a question of who are his advisors, right? Who is he being advised by on these issues? Who does he listen to? And he's also shown a history of like throwing people under the bus quite quickly. So really, we know his core advisors are going to be his family and what they think is over the long term likely going to have an influence. Ivanka as climate. As she climate she has said she wants to fight for climate change policies. We'll see if she actually sticks to that. I mean, who knows? But but do you think that like and, 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 fa and family leave? So the fate of the planet rests on Ivanka being able to convince her father that climate change is real and that he should enact policies that take it seriously? Well, 
when you think about the fact that you could argue the fate of the election rested on Anthony Weiner and his interactions with 15-year-old girls over the internet, that seems to be the world in which we are. <laughs> I think yes, that's that that sounds like a good place uh, for us for us to end. So that's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Thank you, Imogen, and thank you, David. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get their podcasts. If you really like the show, be sure to leave us a rating and a comment because it helps other people discover the show. For more on the Impact Investing Marketplace, follow us on Twitter at Impact Alpha and check out our website, impactalpha.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter to keep in touch. You can send any feedback or questions or comments by email, info at impactalpha.com. Special thanks to our technical producer, Isaac, who joined us as a special treat in New York City in person this week. So from New York, I'm Brian Walsh. On behalf of David Bank and Imogen Rose-Smith, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Returns and Investment. We look forward to speaking again soon.